Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 53 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of the Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Second Technician Fuzzle Forrester, and joining me in the Orange Sidewinder for this episode, we have the station's head of health and safety, Mr. Ben Moss Woodward. Good evening, Fuzzer. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad, buddy. Not too bad at all. We also have station's head of entertainment, Mr. Christopher Jarvis. Good evening. Good evening, sir. And finally, fresh from the docking bay, we have Lave Station's own test pilot, Mr. John Virgo, a.k.a. Karash. Greetings, Commander. Greetings. Wow, it's amazing. This thing still works. I can't actually believe it. Yes, I am back in the chair. I'm back in the hot seat. Thank you to everybody for giving me so much time off this wonderful show. For those of you that aren't aware, Mr. News, I've had a little baby girl. Well, not me personally. Uh, My missus did a wonderful job of having a little baby girl who is called Sienna Isabel Grace. And if I'm sounding a little bit frantic, it's probably due to sleep deprivation. So that's what I've been doing for the last Lord knows how many weeks, but let's find out what the rest of the crew have been doing, starting with Mr. Jarvis. Hello. Well, this evening I am mostly drinking... Is, is it Lef or Leffa or Lefe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go with Lef on that one. Okay, excellent. You know, family funeral over the weekend, so that was a bit sad. We got to meet up with lots of family and stuff, so that was nice. Generally, yeah, just lots of making Lave Revolution audio drama and lots of playing with children. Not me playing with children, but my <laughs> daughter playing with children. It's been one of my weeks where I've had a lot of time of looking after Eden, so... <laughs> you say that, I mean, that's a horrible sort of uh, statement about the world we live in, that you feel you have to sort of, you know just quantify the fact that you weren't playing with children there'd be nothing wrong with if you were playing with children surely i've I've tried playing with children but the board games i like they're rubbish at and they're not really (laughs) dangerous either so uh (laughs) okay john crash mr virgo what have you been doing sir Oh, I've been busy playing with 1.2. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's oh, it's really, really good fun. I've been messing around with the beta, helping to test some things. I'm glad to see that a whole bunch of bugs that I reported previously have all been fixed, which is fantastic. And it's oh, it's just it's just really, really good fun. And did you report those bugs in the new uh, bug forum, or did you report them in the old-fashioned way, or did no. you, because obviously you're such an important person, just get onto the blower in there and phone the guys up directly? Just the red phone, direct to Michael Books. Hey, fix it, fix it. Um, this is one of the older things. Um, it did get transferred over, and it was a problem for a little while, and it's now sorted. So I'm well chuffed with that. Okay, well, why don't you spill the beans and tell us what bug you found? Oh, this one was it was kind of frustrating uh, we were messing around with some unidentified signal sources and found that if I hopped in someone tried to follow me the NPCs would only appear to me which was kind of annoying it didn't really help co-op play at all now with Wings it's the focus is all on co-op play so obviously they've come along and thought ooh that's not right <laughs> and they've sorted that out so excellent <laughs> brilliant stuff Ben what have you been up to sir I've been pretty much the same as Mr. Karash, actually, just flying away in Beta 2 testing wings, blowing up pirates, maybe shooting some federal anacondas and probably making Sarah Jane cry. (laughs) Okay, well... um a little bit of sort of real-time information here. Most of us are actually sat at our desks trying to download the latest update. Not the beta client, the actual genuine client of Elite Dangerous 1.2 has been launched. And as always, uh, it's going very, very, very slowly. So for those of you that are trying to join us live in-game, uh, I'd love to say that we're all hanging outside Lave Station, but we're not. John, I believe you're hanging outside Lave Station. 
I certainly am. I'm here taking names and photographs of all the fans that are out there now. I'm just trying to gather up all the names. <laughs> Excellent. So if you do want to join us in-game, uh, obviously you need to try and be part of the, the private group, which is Fozza, F-O-Z-Z-A. If you're not part of that private group, you're going to have to wait for about an hour until my client updates, and then I'll be able to add you to the group. But for those... 80 or so people that are part of the group already if you jump into the private group Fozza and head over to Lay Station then uh, Crash is hanging around outside the station waiting to greet you. Uh, if you want to join in our chat you can go to our IRC chat channel which is on the Lay Radio uh, homepage you can go there by clicking on Lay Radio Live and scroll down to the live chat and just register with the QuakeNet thing there and we'll be checking on that throughout the show. Okay well without any further ado a quick advert and then we'll go straight into this week's development news. Oh, boy, space is cold in here. That commander has a cheek sitting up in his cosy and warm cockpit while we haul radioactives around his cargo bay. Oh, is it cold? I hadn't noticed. Oh, that's right. Why, you're not even shivering. Maybe it's because I picked up this North Coast cargo bay sweater. It keeps me warm and stylish. Say, that is a nice jumper. It's made from the finest Verex wool and handcrafted by novitiates in the underground monasteries of Van Manen's Star. Wow. Where can I get one? New North Coast Cargo Bay sweaters. Be the envy of your friends. Wow, every lady from here to the Empire. Be warm and toasty, even on the tenth planet of a dying star. Now on sale at Spark and Mensa. Better now? Better? Why, I feel so warm I'll probably never catch man flu again. Spark and Mensa, because nothing says sexy like a neck-high jumper. I know it's uh, ridiculously unprofessional to refer to the adverts after they've been playing out, but that advert did make me smile. That one was from way back when. Wonderful creator, Mr. David Braben, had a <laughs> had a penchant for his neck-high jumpers. We haven't seen any. We've gone through pretty much an entire winter without seeing David Braben in a uh, any sort of knitwear whatsoever. Then we actually pulled him up on that. I don't know, he's not really done any uh, videos for a while, has he? No, he's been out in the wild, but most of the yeah. time he's been doing sort of conferences and stuff, and I suppose probably in hotter places than Cambridge. Yeah, they haven't really done the sort of blue screen developer videos in the same way that they did a lot back at the beginning. <laughs> I am right in thinking, though, that his jumpers did manage to make it into the game as a rares. I, I just think we bullied him into hiding. <laughs> um, I mean, not just us, you know, a lot of people. Uh, I think he probably, you know, cries himself to sleep on his pillow, thinking about how horrible people were about his clothing. And uh, we're, we're partly responsible for that. No, surely not. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that's true for a second. But there is definitely, I mean, someone picked me up on this. There is definitely a Braben's Woolen or something like that as a rare commodity out in the universe, yes? No? Okay, we'll check no. out the chat channel. There must be. I'm <laughs> sure somewhere there is a Braven's Woolen. I'm sure there there's are a references market. to woolen goods, I believe, but I don't think there's any um, actual uh, rares that I've seen. Ah, well, if it's not there yet, it certainly should be. Let's, uh, let's jump straight into the development news and go up for the, uh, the dev update that was given by the wonderful Mr. Michael Brooks. Um, obviously, the main news this week, which we'll be spending a little bit of time in our main topic talking about, is obviously the fact that the uh, the Wings update is out, and also the fact that they're going to be launching the wonderful game on Xbox One. 
that's going to be our topic for this week, guys. We're going to be talking about the implications of adding the Elite Dangerous Universe to the consoles and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly that's going to pertain. So, obviously, the main thing about the dev update this week is Wings 1.2. So why don't we start with that? I managed to play the beta for all of maybe two hours this afternoon before jumping on the show. Um, so I think I'm probably going to have to bow down to you guys in terms of the experience of it, but it was stable for me. Um, the comms actually worked first time, and the two new ships, the Ferdinand and the Vulture. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the Vulture this afternoon, and I think it's possibly, apart from obviously I'm trading at the moment in my Type 7, but I think possibly the Vulture is going to become my favourite ship. Assuming you can afford it. I, well, I've got about 50 million credits stuck in my account waiting for my uh, my T... Uh, my T7, 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 rubbish, T9, uh, my Lake on 9 to, uh, to, to, to find me in Greece. But yeah, I think I could probably afford the Vulture. I believe the Vulture's 22 million, somebody said, and then obviously you've got to kit it out. So yeah, call, yeah. It, call it 30 odd million, 35 million. And what do you see as, I mean, obviously the, the ship's not going to win any beauty contests. Uh, it, is, uh, it is fugly. It is quite ridiculously <laughs> fugly. It's definitely a double bagger. Yeah. No! Oh, come on. You know? No, it's a lovely looking ship. No, no, no. You're, you're absolutely wrong there. The only way that you can see that ship as being attractive is if you had some sort of strange fetish relating to dark, dark crystal uh, uh, characters. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, if you, if you sort of. I know it's kind of slightly bulky, but if you compare it to similarly wonderful bulky things like. So maybe the new Batman in the, uh, the Batmobile in the Christian Bale movies. And maybe the um, the APC from Aliens. I think there's a both similar design. Are, mm, both of which it's, are very, very cool vehicles, but you would never say that they were beautiful-looking vehicles, would you? It's a very utilitarian... Very utilitarian? Utilitarian? Yes, that's the word. <laughs> uh, looking vehicle. And I think, you know, it handles like a dream. And yep. with those two large hard points, it, it definitely holds its own. Yeah, it definitely packs a punch. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it, it looks mean and it looks brilliant, but it's not pretty. Not like the Fertilance is pretty. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, if you look at the other ships that are in this game, and we're not just talking the Imperial ships, but the things like the Eagles, you know, you look at those and you think, yeah, you are a pretty sexy ship. And then you look at the Vulture and go, and you, ooh, ooh, you, you not so much. You know, you wouldn't be happy if that was your date for the evening, you know? It's not all about looks, though, is it, Fuzzer? <laughs> no, she's got it where it counts. That's, it's uh, definitely got personality. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but, I mean, she flies amazingly well, and with those two large hard points, she definitely packs a punch. I mean, I, uh, I played beta for the first time, and it was quite nice, actually, to go out there uh, and sort of have an alter ego. Uh, it kind of made me wish that we did have the, the multiple commanders thing coming in a little bit sooner because it was quite nice to just go out there with a ship that you were quite confident was going to be pretty kick-ass and just shoot everything that came past you. So I think I had a bounty of around about 240,000 credits in the space of like 25 minutes because I was just literally shooting everything and nothing could touch me. The uh, the manoeuvrability of the Vulture were two... I think I had about two, uh, two pulse lasers that were... I think about 35,000 credits each. So not completely top spec, but even just with those on, um, I, I was pretty much more than a match for what, pythons. I didn't take on any anacondas, but I did take down a couple of pythons. Uh, and in terms of uh, the resource uh, sites, uh, none of the actual federal security guys could come anywhere near me. 
I'll t- I tell you what is really nice, though, um, is the, the, so the Ferda Lance. I think, Ben, you were flying a Ferda Lance round, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I've got a third, well, in beta I had a third Lance and a Vulture, and... Yeah, and I spent a bit of time, because uh, we were because we were trying out wings, which obviously we'll talk about in a second, um, I managed I managed to get a good look at Ben's undercarriage, <laughs> and I was very impressed. Really? Yeah. I was upset really? that you didn't manage to get a video of my undercarriage. No, that's right, no, we were trying to film it, but uh, it didn't go, it didn't go wrong. Um, you can go right, uh, but yeah, no. If you get the chance, I mean, obviously you can't see it with your own ship, and it's very hard to kind of deploy weapons and go to the debug cam at the same time. But if you get the chance to see somebody else in a third lance, just get them to to deploy their weapons and put them away and lower the undercarriage and raise the undercarriage. Because I have to say, the animation on the underside of the third lance of these different things opening up is just beautiful. I mean, it's really, it, it's really. There's this kind of circular section on the bottom of the Ferdinand's that sort of rotates and spins away like a kind of lock, and then these two bomb doors open, and this big gun comes out. And again, the with the landing gear when they come out, the feet sort of unfold, and then these two little toes come down, and it's just, it's just really nice. And it's such a shame that you get to see all that hard work so rarely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to the debug camera because obviously that's another big part of the uh, the latest update. The fact that I mean, we've been crying out for it for ages, and Frontier have always quite rightly said that there's not going to be an exterior view for this game purely because it provides you with an unfair advantage. If anybody's trying to use stealth or sneak up on you or anything like that, you you know your, your cockpit is the way that you're supposed to view the world. But if they're going to charge us for all of these skins, if you know they're going to make the game as beautiful as there is um, with screenshots and everything else, there should be a way for us to explore the galaxy and they've acquiesced to that and they've given us the debug camera which again I had a bit of a play around with this afternoon and it works exceptionally well I thought um, I, th- I thought it would be a mouse and keyboard thing but they've actually they've uh, they've modeled it onto the controls of your your ship haven't they so for me it was the the x52 uh, that was controlling the camera so exactly the same way as you control your ship you control the camera so if you accelerate forward the camera goes in if you put it into reverse the camera pans away from the ship um, I think that works uh, remarkably well and I've taken some lovely shots of my not so pretty vulture what, um, what else have we seen from the debug camera? I know there's been a, a plethora of community activity around, uh, around selfie, ship selfies. <laughs> yes, more lovingly referred to as the selfie stick, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a great addition. I think, you know, I've, I've been longing for it for a while because, you know, the idea of doing some, uh, some animated shorts and you know, just taking some nice screenshots for your background and things like that, it's, it's something I've wanted to do for a long while. So I'm glad they finally put it in. I, I'm glad they've also kind of constrained it the way you said that, you know, it's using the flight controls. You, you know, it doesn't just kind of go into some uh, mouse-controlled orbit cam that you can spin around 360 instantly. The only thing I'd say about that is, do you not feel that you can't get as close with your selfie cam as you can when you're, say, flying a sidewinder underneath somebody's undercarriage? Yeah, I mean, they've obviously put some constraints in there, so there's a bounding box, the camera won't allow you to clip through the model of the ship. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want that to happen. First of all, it it looks bad. Um, But secondly, I mean, you know, they, they, they don't really want us to get the mechanics, uh, you know, of, of getting up close and personal with all those various elements in there. They're not really ready for that kind of um, viewing yet, which is un- unfortunate. You think? Because I was, I, in beta, I picked up a 100-credit anaconda, 
mm-hmm. and I was wanting to basically have a look and see what they've done underneath in the lower bridge area or the you know ten oh, foot yeah. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have a look at that, and I just couldn't get to my selfie cam close enough. Whereas you can get a real ship right up against it, obviously, which yeah. that that made me a bit sad. That's it didn't share the same kind of bounding boxes as the Sidewinder or something. As an actual physical ship, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, I'd, I'd like to have it as flexible as possible, but I also see why they've restricted it. You know, particularly like I was saying, the movement speed has been so oh, yes. reduced specifically to that. And you can imagine, uh, you know, being able if you could do like a three hundred and sixty no scope on it, sort of thing, <laughs> spin around really quickly. Uh, you could ha- you could boost away in a straight line, quickly go to the debug cam, spin around, see if there's people around in certain positions. You know, so it would give you that in-game benefit. But the way they've done it, where you get the little pop up and it says hey you know this is a debug feature uh you know so it kind of slows you down and then the camera controls are slower as well to stop you orbiting around quickly it, it's unfortunate it stops you having that flexibility and that freedom to take really cool shots but at the same time it, it means it isn't game breaking i don't yeah, think okay. that getting closer to your side your anaconda or your sidewinder or whatever would be game breaking yeah, I agree with you about oh, no. speed. Yeah. I yeah. just and slowing you down. I just I don't see how me getting up close and personal with the, my ship's skin mm. would be game breaking. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'd I'd like to try and oogle at these graphics. I mean, they're fantastic. You know, these procedural generated textures and everything. You could zoom infinitely on the damn things. Let us do it. I want to see. <laughs> okay, you're both getting a little bit sad. Geeky, now. too but, geeky. Um, right. Back in a way. Let's take it into a different direction. You mentioned about the fact that you wanted to do these cool videos, which I mean, obviously, the whole idea of a debug cam is well, not the whole idea, but it does open it up to the community to create some really good footage. Now, do you think this is going to open the way to you know? A sort of a red versus blue, a machinima sort of um, uh, facility now in Elite Dangerous? I would love something like that, that to happen. You know, like some sort of show the community puts together. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I'd just be settled uh, with... Uh, the the intro of Frontier Elite Two remade. I've been I've been threatening to do that for a long long time, and now it's like, oh, I can I can get the camera now. Uh, and uh, mm, yeah, I'd really love to see something like. That. But yeah, definitely some sort of kind of weekly show. People putting some video stuff together. I mean, I know it's a it's a heck of a lot of effort to do something like that. Yeah, um, but I think that you know we're going to see some really fun things come out of it now. Uh, I think that's the that's the first challenge. And now we've got a debug camera. What we need is we need a, a remake of the the Frontier intro. Uh, uh, intro scene and we'll come to it a little bit later on in the show as well but we might even have some new music for that uh, frontier intro sequence as well so uh but more to that uh, later on in the show let's uh, pick up what else came out in this dev news update wings. Uh, obviously the wings came out i haven't had a chance to actually i've got no friends you see because i actually took the day off work to, to catch up on the beta and you guys were being very conscientious and going to work. So um, you tell me what it was like to actually use the, the Wings feature. Is it everything that we hoped it would be? It, it's really good, actually. Um, I think it, it definitely... It's definitely given me some keen <laughs> to, to kind of try and find <laughs> some time to get in and play Elite a bit more than I have lately. Um, it's very... I mean, there the, were the, okay. So we were playing it last night. So this is the very end of the beta. There was still, I think, maybe a few teething problems with it that we had, um, particularly to do with inviting to wings. Quite often, you can invite someone and they don't get your invite, and nothing happens. Um, and actually, so it will it'll say on your screen wing invite sent, but sometimes you'll send a wing invite, and there'll be like a little 
arrow envelope icon next to it that's different and when that appears it's kind of worked so i don't know i hope they've ironed all that out for this for this final release um but yeah once you once you've got in a wing there are some really nice design ideas um each person in the wing has their own sort of stylistic icon assigned to them so that when you're kind of flying around in super cruise you can see the icons of your your different kind of wing buddies so you know who's who and roughly where they are um again technically we did i think is it fair to say ben we ran, we might have run into a slight instancing issue um in that john stabler who was in our in our wing uh, we couldn't meet up with him and he kind of went to super cruise and dropped out and then he was back with us um so i'm not totally sure what happened there but but you know, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> taking a everyone here. The gameplay. <laughs> are you asking a question? Or are you making a statement? There, I'm making a statement. <laughs> okay. um, but gameplay-wise, I mean, we didn't have a massive, uh, massive test of it. But the four of us went. We went to one of these strong signal sources that had loads of big ships and all kinds of fighters and things flying around. Um, and it was it was really good fun. It was really good fun ganging up on anacondas and turning around and everyone scanning for wanted ships and you know picking off the stray sidewinders and things that were also tagged as enemies. Um, and pleasingly, although I don't know if this is by design, a couple of the guys in the wing accidentally fired on federal vessels and were then marked out as wanted but we weren't all marked as wanted so <laughs> you don't all get tarred with the same brush but it is you know it's really good fun um and then the the end of our test finished with us all rocking up at an outpost and discovering that there were four of us and the outpost only had four landing pads several of which were already full so <laughs> okay that. well what about the um what about the comms obviously that's one of the main things that people have been complaining about for the last few iterations did the comms work Work seamlessly were you able to actually control and you know, communicate within your you know within the wing yeah um i've had no issues with that at all in fact i, I kind of uh, popped in and checked out with some of the frontier guys tonight and it just works seamlessly you know it just works the way it should have worked on day one i think which is great to see it finally working <laughs> the way we all imagined it <laughs> what about the um because obviously the the comms have had that wonderful sort of hiss the hiss the um yeah the filters put on it to make it sound as if you're actually sort of talking on walkie-talkies or, or crackling comms. Have they cleaned that up? Is it easier to hear people now, or is it just the same as it was? Um, it, it sounds very similar to what it is. I mean, I've never had any issues with it myself. The only problem I've had is when people's microphones are a little bit low, for example. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it works really, really well. I've had, I've had no problems with it. I, I jumped into a, someone's stream last week, and, you know, we had a whale of the time just going. And we had exactly the same problem that Chris was just explaining there. We, we all got to one little outpost, and we had to take turns to swap in and repair. <laughs> I, I've, I have to say, I really like the comms effect. I mean, obviously, I'm slightly... Um, biased because I've been doing the audio books uh, and I've been applying a lot of kind of walkie-talkie effects to people's voices over comms. <laughs> so I kind of, do you know what I mean? It's exactly the sort of thing I'm a real sucker for. Um, and particularly the the nice sort of walkie-talkie clicks in and out as people start and stop talking. I mean, the only other thing that, again, we sort of felt might have been a slight bug was that while we were still on Skype kind of coordinating the game before we could get into the wing, we muted voice comms, and for some reason we were still getting the background crackle and the sort of walkie-talkie clicks, even though we weren't hearing people's voices. So... I think that could be because Oz was having some feedback issues, though. Um, But Crash... You're in game at the moment, aren't you? Because <laughs> yeah. I believe that 
the voice comms now has its own separate levels. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can go into the menu and turn everything uh, down and just turn the voice up separately, which is what I've done. I've got voice ah, up to about 100%. Interesting. Yeah, I've got, I've, got, <laughs> I've got the voices for everyone else up to 100%. I've got some of the other, uh, well, all of the other game sliders are down to about a third. Um, so that way I can, I can ramp my main master volume up as loud as I want to and I can hear everyone clearly over everything else. Ah, great, because I'm just wondering now if you guys are saying that it's never been an issue for you, whether or not it's the fact that I've got a uh, surround sound speaker set up uh, in my, um, in my yeah. office, and it's the central speaker that the, the voice comms comes through, and yes. that's very, very quiet. Even if I turn it all the way up, it's still a long way away and quite difficult to hear people, so I end up having to put headphones on in order to actually be able to raise it high enough so I can hear what people are saying. Yeah, this is absolutely the problem I had on my setup as well, with all the various <laughs> cables going everywhere. Uh, you know, the uh, then you've got to factor in as well that you, the, you've got the 3D positional audio of everything inside the virtual cockpit as well. So uh, yeah. you kind of have you've got to get that sorted before you can hear everyone clearly. Okay, anything else to add for Wings, guys? I mean, obviously it's something that uh, is now out there in the wild, so I'm sure we're going to be reporting on it for the next couple of weeks. Anything that we might have missed? Well. I- I think it's difficult to go over everything. It's so many little incremental things that you've added in. They've iterated on practically every aspect of the game. It's it's so hard to go over it all, but it's definitely more than the sum of its parts, I would say. You know, there's just just little touches that kind of make things easy. You know, navigating now shows up uh, on the left-hand panel. When you, when you plot a route, you get a number of jumps left, for example, which is great. You know, you've got the instant feedback of stuff. You know, the UI's been changed. The comm panel's been changed. Everything is the way that I wish it was on, on day one, really. <laughs> uh, and it's great to see it's finally in that stage, I think. Cool. Okay. Anything else that we're missing from the, the dev update? Obviously, the main one is, of course, this Xbox One release. Uh, let, let's just quickly uh, touch on that. Um, obviously, when the uh, news first broke, uh, came out, and everybody was saying that it's going to be you know, an Xbox-exclusive title, uh, that certainly was being reported for the first 24 hours. That's now being um, sort of rescinded slightly. David Braben's been back on and just clarified that it's an exclusive timed title. So obviously it's coming out first for the Xbox, although I say Xbox is also obviously coming out for the Mac. So it's not a, it's not a single platform exclusive. So it's coming out on the Mac first, then it's coming out on the Xbox, and then obviously PlayStation 4 will follow a little bit further on is what we heard from David. So... Uh, great for those people that have obviously got an Xbox. Uh, Frontier Developments have definitely got a, a standing history with Microsoft. They've done a lot of games for them in the past, so there's a, a working relationship there. So it makes sense that it comes out on the uh, the Xbox One first. A little bit gutting for me because I've got a PlayStation 4, so I'll have to wait a little bit longer. But uh, obviously we'll spend a little bit more time talking about the ramifications of the console in our main topic. Um, box sets. I heard that box sets are coming out within the next two weeks. Now, has everybody on the call, has everybody sort of purchased at a level where they are expecting a box set to drop through their post box? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hope it's not dropped. It's quite delicate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say it's quite delicate. Is it quite delicate? What exactly have they confirmed is going to be in these things? Right, what we've got? We've got a T-shirt, we've got a book, CD. Do we get physical CDs? I don't know. Do we get a, I thought it was a download code that we were going to get. We've got the download stuff, obviously, already, because that's just on the downloadable products for the music. Yeah, uh, if there was a CD, surely it would just contain an installer that would be out of date within a weekend. Probably, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, I want my star map. I was going to say, yeah, star, star map, map should be in there. 
Uh, I think there's going to be a poster. Do we say there is a poster in there as well? So, um, and obviously the official tie-in title, which uh, I must admit, I foolishly went out and bought the hardback straight away as soon as it was released, forgetting that I was going to get another copy of it coming through the post box with the box release. So um, it'll be great. Competition prizes. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody's going to have a, a paperback copy, though, because most people will have the box sets. So I'm not sure how much mileage we'll get out of that one, but you know, maybe we'll give it a go. Uh, we'll maybe save it for LaveCon. It'll go into the raffle, because obviously at LaveCon, you can't have enough raffle prizes. So uh, great those coming out in the next two weeks, though, so I'll be looking forward to that dropping through the through the letterbox. Um, oh, that's one thing we didn't touch on, and that is that even though Wings has only literally just come out today, they're already talking about the next update, and that is of, well, what they're calling Power Play. Now, uh, there was a little bit of speculation around this to start with. Now, uh, Crash, as you're so, you know, so close, so tight-knit with Frontier, <laughs> how would you like to give us all the spoilers and let us know about the fact that you know exactly what's coming in the next update and uh, just yeah, give it to us as a lay radio exclusive? <laughs> um, well, hang on, just let me get check my NDA a second, hang on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't know myself. I'm, I'm really excited. I've seen lots of speculation. I know early on people were saying that it was some kind of PvP arena thing, and I was really glad that uh, Michael just came straight on the forums and said, no, it's not that. So it's, <laughs> it's nice for that to be not confirmed because it kind of narrows the net down. Uh, a lot of other people were kind of uh, toying with the idea of being clans. That's another suggestion. I'm, I'm gearing towards what we kind of come across on my stream last week. I'm thinking maybe it's something to do with ship, ships in ships being able to launch smaller ones from bigger ships. I'm hoping it has something to do with that. Uh, there was kind of a couple of subtle hints. If you if you freeze frame the Xbox launch trailer <laughs> and have a look at one of the ships, it looks like the underbelly of an anaconda launching a federal fighter. Go watch that now. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what it almost definitely is? Because I watched that new trailer and then I watched the other trailer and there was a shot of an anaconda flying past and it's the same it's the same <laughs> underside so yeah, the, the anaconda definitely is the thunderbird 2 of, uh, <laughs> of the universe and it, it you know can have mini things inside it i certainly right. hope that's going to be the case yeah and how how does that lead does that sort of tie into a power play then where's the well, where's the power play in that well i'm i'm thinking you know if you can't have other players inside there, inside you know your own anaconda, maybe at least if you've got your anaconda kitted out and then you've got a different ship in there, you can do that thing. I mean, David's always talked about he loves the idea of flying a big anaconda, teeth toothed up, to out to these far off places, then having a little you know heavy fighter in its hold sort of thing, which has got very low range but really good weaponry that sort of thing. So I think it's nice that you've um, kind of got that that game within a game sort of thing you know you're not having to kind of stop and go to a hangar and jump in this ship go in that ship sort of thing so it's nice that there, there can be more ships on the battlefield maybe okay, I, well. I, I wonder if the, the, the power play concept isn't a um uh, a softer approach than that given the work they did on with 1.1 and the kind of community goals i wonder if power play isn't something to do with using groups of players to kind of push political change in a system harder so you know you have all this influence stuff where you take on missions and you sort of gradually subtly you know change the influence of a system with a neighboring system but i can't help wondering if power play is going to give players the ability to push that agenda and actually take a system that is that is close 
to being in a position to influence another one and actually come round with military force and actually and actually make that change happen there and then. Okay, well, as this is uh, one of the things that this show loves to do more than anything else, and that's wild speculation on things that we have absolutely no knowledge of, uh, I thought we'd do a little game for this episode, and I went to Urban Dictionary and put in the word power play to see what the internet has to say on the matter. So I'm going to read out some uh, power play definitions as provided by the Urban Dictionary, and you guys can tell me whether or not you think there's a scenario or there's a way that you could sort of work this into the Elite Dangerous game. Okay, so starting with number one, power play, the act of using knowledge and or information against someone else in order to gain advantage in an intense situation. Courier missions, spies. Okay, interesting. Just letter drops, that's all I can think of for that. Really? Because I actually thought that was pretty much what you've just described in terms of, um, you know, turning one faction against another. Yeah, the political struggles. Yeah, exactly. So, number two, power play. In a role play, controlling other people's characters. That's a good. That might tie into what I was just saying about having a ship within a ship. You know, if uh, one of the things I thought was really, really difficult as exploration at the moment, you know, going off with two people off to a different location, it's a real pain in the backside. If someone logs off, you want to carry on exploring, and then they come back an hour later, you've gone miles away from where they are. It's a real pain in the backside to get up close with each other when you're exploring. If you can share ships and you have it it's like hey oh you're back online why don't you jump in the sidewinder in my hold and we'll you you can carry on playing yeah absolutely chris ben would you agree with that no i wouldn't agree with that because power play and that kind of thing is usually it's like i hit crash in the face and there's nothing he can do about it it's you know it's almost like god modding (laughs) god modding (laughs) and you know it's it's a very not it's not a thing that you shouldn't be doing in when you're role playing. Um, really, because as the GM, I do it all the time. Yeah, well, as a GM, you you may be you may be meant to, but as the player, you shouldn't be allowed to, should you? Okay, well, the next one uh, sort of breaks it down to the various parts. So, uh, power play number one for sports in general is a massive attack moving many players up on the opposing team's court. Do we think this could be, again, another sort of suggestion about what Chris was saying in terms of moving an entire sort of system from one faction to another? Hell yes. Take it to those federal scum. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to swing towards what you were saying now, actually. That sounds more fun. (laughs) Um, In politics, the threat of use or power... Try that one again. In politics, the threat or use of power as coercion... Again, it's sort of more sort of the political intrigue, isn't it? It's more sort of moving systems yeah. to from one to the other. And finally, the one that I always do in June 2 on the Amiga was uh, uh, hoarding lots of XP and resources and money, often to the extent of running the gameplay for other players. So, Ruining. Ruining. Ruining the gameplay for other players, absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't that happen already? <laughs> <laughs> well, how many players have got several billion credits already? <laughs> There, there was 50, I think, and most of them have gone anyway now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, that's just a, a few definitions from Urban Dictionary. I don't think, obviously, we're any the wiser, but um, I quite like the idea of it being a ship inside the ship. I think that might add a little bit to uh, to the gameplay, but I, that, to me, just seems like a, like a very, very large update, and I'm not sure we've got the 
yeah, have we got the scope for that yet, or do we think that might be something that's going to take a little bit longer to come into the actual game further down the line? Uh, the system change, I think, is possibly something a little bit more uh, achievable at the moment, given the current state of development. Yeah. I completely agree with you, yeah. It's, it's definitely close to the sorts of things they've been doing recently. Yeah. yeah. John? Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. It, it, you know, as much as I like the the idea that I was toying around with, that's just a minor thing, really. The, the idea of it being a more political intrigue, toying around with superpowers and that kind of thing, I think it fits more in with where they want to go with it. And also, yeah, Mr. Brooks has said that this is something that's very close to his heart. Has he ever suggested to you that he really likes the idea of having all these sort of surrogates inside his ships to spew forth and, and take control? <laughs> or is he more the sort of man that's all about sort of the, the politics and the intrigue and, the, and the, the fiction of moving one faction to, uh, to another, that sort of thing? Well, well, David's certainly keen on having a, a sidewinder in his anaconda, but uh, I, think, yeah, I think you're right. Michael's probably swings more towards uh, the, the bigger picture. Yeah, it's, another, well. it's another elite base double entendre. <laughs> I really like having a sidewinder up inside my anaconda. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Um, let's just close off the uh, the dev news. There, there has been talk as well that we're going to be getting a new uh, faster launcher. Has anybody read the uh, read the news on this one? We actually have it already. It came out, and it should be the one theoretically that we're using to download this update. Really, point naught nine megabits per second. <laughs> I'm feeling doubtful. Oh, <laughs> I'm the same as you, Jarvis. <laughs> I, I feel really bad. I mean, my mum's about thirty to fifty minutes, I think, and it was there. <laughs> it's up. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a valid point, though. But I mean, because I was under the impression, I don't know if they still are, but certainly early in Alpha and Beta, Frontier were using sort of distributed Amazon web servers for, for, for managing a lot of the software rollouts and, you know, the game and things like that. Yeah. And isn't there some way they can scale to kind of more capacity on patch release days? Because we quite often have this this mm. slow update problem. I mean, sometimes it's super fast, but on other times we, you know, we do seem to run into this issue. Yeah, yeah, it's they they probably could. Uh, I think the problem is with any kind of Amazon uh, solution there's there's multiple layers to it. There's different tiers and they've obviously paid mostly for compute which is what they need for the transaction servers running all the instances and that kind of thing. Uh but for storage they've obviously not put anything in for that kind of sudden peak uh, capacity, that bandwidth requirements at points like this, because that's that's one of the reasons where I have an issue. Another issue I've noticed as well is, is uh, which hopefully they fixed in this client downloader now, was the fact that it was downloading a single file at a time, which was you know a bit inefficient way of doing it. I'm hoping that's one of the things they've resolved, but then they're still going to be constrained by the server ultimately if this that's still limited. Okay, well, uh, I don't want to sound smug here, but uh, I'm back. I'm back in the game. So uh, bad news for you guys, but good news for Ridley Walker. You have now been accepted into the group. Uh, Ifran Naeem, you're back in the group. Jax is in the group, and new GM is in the group as well. So if you do want to join the Fuzzer group and join us outside Labor Station, you can just jump in, add yourself, and I will be authorizing people as we go through the show. Um, let's quickly move on to a newsletter number 65. Just quickly glance over this one. Um, I think the main thing that came out of this, obviously we're talking again about the, uh, yeah, the Xbox One release, but for me, the most exciting thing that was in this newsletter was 
the peak of the week. One of the most exciting peaks of the week uh, I think we've had since this game was announced. And the reason behind that is because we finally got a tease of the Imperial Courier. Uh, what do you guys think of this? Obviously, what the, the picture shows, it shows a very, 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 very big, sleek, open canopy. Uh, not open, because obviously that would be silly. It would be open to vacuum. But a big uh, glass canopy, uh, very, very long sleek nose of a ship uh it says soon what do you guys reckon do you reckon this is the this is the courier we've all been waiting for squee that's all i can say <laughs> <laughs> i it, oh the courier is definitely one of my favorites from the uh, the prequel oh it was awesome and i, I can't wait to play it. and just looking at that there the way that you know you've still got all the same key elements of the herd the seat and all that but it's got it's such a nice style to it it looks fantastic the blue the white the silver all that really really pops i can't wait to get in there and just have a look around it's going to be really really awesome i i'm hoping i'm hoping that one's going to appear in 1.3 which would be really really nice uh, and going back to what i said earlier on that means i, I really can get started on doing that um, frontier elite intro <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at the moment I am playing as an independent. Uh, I haven't sort of had any sort of draws to the the Federation or uh, or the Imperials, but the the yeah, the opportunity to fly the Imperial Courier it really is sort of making me think. You know, now is the probably the right time to go and uh, show my Imperial leanings, even if it just means I can get that ship. Uh, it would be lovely actually if there was a way of getting a pirate version. Uh, of that ship somehow so that you didn't actually have to have an imperial rank to be able to fly it maybe pick up a beat up one or something like that from Isla or something yeah exactly um hmm maybe that's something that we can suggest as a as mm. an update going yes, forward like, these are like the sort of things video. that you would actually well i was saying before it's the sort of things that the pirate bases yeah maybe these uh, this is how you, you you carve out a role for yourself in terms of these undiscovered uh, hidden pirate bases that a few of them will have sort of ex imperial ships or ex federal ships that you'll be able to you know obviously it will cost you a ridiculous amount of money um, and maybe it will make you automatically wanted in imperial or federal systems if you fly it uh, without the right registration etc but uh, it still gives you the opportunity to buy and pilot those ships because uh, I quite like the opportunity to fly that ship without having to go through all of the uh, the hoops to go through all the Imperial rankings to rank up to get it. And also, if you think about it, some of the outposts have actually got ships in their big bay, don't they, that you can look through the glass windows and see? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. Okay, so other things in the newsletter. This was the one that uh, I... And I was very happy about it. It was something that we did get involved with. It's the announcement of the new Yembo's Starport and the name of it. Uh, the community has voted and the first community name Starport in Elite Dangerous will be called Unity. What do you guys reckon? Good name? I'm, I'm not sure. For some reason, it makes me think of Assassin's Creed and all the horrible things that happened with Assassin's Creed <laughs> Unity. Um, so I kind of there's a part of me can't help feeling it's like an awfully ironic name, uh, but it is. You know, if you, if you if you strip that away, it is quite a nice uh, a sort of aspirational name for a starport. Ben, do you think it's a good name? Not really. I'd say it's a bit meh, if you ask me. Just yeah. sort of, you know, a bit bit too carebearing things for my tastes. Okay, what did you uh, what did you vote forward? I actually put forward LLAP. 
Is that some sort of... Live long and prosper. Ah, okay, right. Well, that brings us on to uh, the other announcement that was in the newsletter, which said, in the latter days of the competition, uh, the suggestion for Leonard Nimoy station saw a surge in support following the sad news of Leonard Nimoy's passing on February the 27th. Uh, But it seemed more fitting to the team at Frontier to give that name to the Starport Orbiting Vulcan in the LHS-3006 system. The community's overwhelming desire to pay tribute to Leonard Nimoy sealed that deal. And it was definitely something that we uh, shouted out to the community. I know that the Elite Dangerous Community group on Facebook did exactly the same thing. Um, and we were inundated with support for the idea that you know, that uh, naming the community station should have been Leonard Nimoy stuff. Or you know, just basically something that Frontier can inject into the game to reflect what a great guy uh, and what an inspirational character uh, Leonard Nimoy was to the world of sci-fi and fantasy. So great that they put it in. And yes, I suppose it is quite fitting that it goes. And uh, the station uh, orbiting Vulcan is the one that has his name. So another thing to add to your list of places to visit on your sightseeing map of Elite Dangerous. Uh, anything else in the newsletter you guys wanted to cover other than that? I think we're probably done with newsletter 65. No. Great. Okay, well, we'll go to a quick advert, and then after that, we'll come back to the main discussion, which is, of course, Elite Dangerous on the Xbox One. Is your life like this? It could be like this. So the main discussion topic this week, how could it be anything else? It was announced at GDC that Elite Dangerous is coming to consoles and starting with the Xbox One later on this year. Um, I don't have an Xbox One, but I am quite excited and a little bit sort of uh, apprehensive about this universe going onto the wider gaming network. So uh, let's start off with a quick round, Robin, and get people's initial thoughts of the announcement, starting with the most enthusiastic and optimistic one of all of us, Crash. Hey, did I know you were saying me? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really, really pleased with that. I think it can only be a good thing. I know there was a, there was a lot of backlash about it instantly, but I think there's a there will be a backlash about any announcement. But but as you said, it's great. It's out to the wider community. More people get to play it. It's you know it's wonderful to see it. I remember you know when we I played the original on on the Amiga. I used to be 
a NES boy. You know, I used to play nothing but Nintendo games, and then suddenly this great-looking game came out on Amiga. Hey, Dad, I want one of those. You know, it's it's that kind of thing all over again. We need to get the younger community looking at the game and experiencing it the way we used to, you know, we did originally. And I think it's, it's just going to be good things for the game. Okay, Jarvis? Yeah, I think it's... It's an interesting and obvious choice. I think the thing that was occurring to me... Now, okay, now this is going to sound really rude, and I am not saying that all console players are lacking in imagination and really impatient with games, but if there are gamers that are really, you know, those things, consoles is where they're going to be, realistically. So, And I say that as a, as a console player myself. Um, I think that the kinds of games that console players are used to playing in the, the sort of mass market are very different to Elite Dangerous. And if you've already got PC gamers moaning and whinging about how, <laughs> how, how Elite Dangerous requires imagination to enjoy it and how the pace is really slow and it's just a flying simulator. You know, do you know what I mean? If you've got PC gamers complaining about that, what are the console players going to make of it? Um, on the flip side, I would, honest, for myself, I'd much rather have Elite as a console game that I could sit in the living room and play. Um, I think I think the question on most people's lips is how it's going to manage with some of the control schemes. Because, you know, if you go down your keyboard bindings menu, there's an awful lot of stuff in Elite that currently relies on you having a keyboard. Um, so a lot of people have installed things like voice attack in order to, to sort of get around that. So I suppose the big question really is whether they're going to implement something like that for the console version. Um, yeah. Or whether we're going to see things like, you know, selection wheels on screen for... <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's not go too much into detail, because obviously these are points that we're going to pick up on as we go through. But Ben, your initial top-level thoughts when you heard the announcement? It's kind of traditional, really, isn't it? Because Elite was out on everything that was available at the time. Uh, Frontier was out on everything at the time. So why shouldn't Elite Dangerous? Okay, and you don't see any sort of uh, issues with that in terms of the two player bases coming together or anything like the that? The more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. Okay. I think the thing that's a, the primary concern though about the what you were saying there about the um, two player bases coming together is, th- is that that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a number of issues. Sad, sadly to say, these are th- there are licensing issues as well as practical technical issues that stop gamers you know there are plenty of games over the last few years that could have pitched like playstation 4 and xbox one players in the same environment but the platform holders don't allow it except in really exceptional circumstances they just don't want players from either console being in the same instance as each other and i can see that being a problem uh, you know, for Elite. I mean, even if you know Elite does eventually come on uh, Xbox 360 and uh, sorry Xbox One and PlayStation 4, you know they are not going to be able to play together, even if Frontier could write the code to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Frontier have already said that. Yeah, in principle, there isn't an issue with the code. The only thing that uh, they have a problem with is the fact that there is obviously a different upgrading process for updates and patches and stuff for the Xbox system as opposed to the, the PC one, and they don't actually want to slow down development of the PC game in order to have to keep up with the slower rate that the, the consoles would have to go. So in order to do that, they're going to, they're going to keep the, the two player bases separate for the time being. 
Uh, I mean, David Braben said that he'd like to see a universe where everybody plays together, but at the same time, uh, he doesn't want to do anything that actually derails or slows down the development and the updates and the patches and everything that comes out on the PC game first and foremost, uh, which I think is you know, all credit to him. But the background simulation, the actual universe, the stock markets and everything else like that, that has been confirmed that it'll be exactly the same whether you're playing on a console or whether or not you're playing on a PC, which... It's an interesting concept because, I mean, if you've only got, well, I don't know, say a tenth of the number of players that you've got on consoles you've got on the, the PC, then you're literally getting the console players being pulled around the galaxy um, by the PC player base. And you, is that fair, do you think? Do you think it's fair that, you know, those people that have the largest number of players will actually be able to sort of impact the galaxy for everybody, be they a PC player or a console player? Uh, Crash. I'm not sure whether we have that much of an effect on it, honestly. <laughs> At the I moment, think, but in principle. Yeah, currently, currently. Hopefully Paraplay will correct me on that, but I think, you know, Frontier, <laughs> they're playing more GM, uh, really, with it, so they, they've got a lot of control over what's going on. I, I, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing at all, having the, the two player bases being able to affect things, even if we can't do peer-to-peer. And I know Microsoft are much more open to that kind of thing, these days they they're really trying to push it and support it they've got a couple of projects in the pipeline now um first one off the top of my head i know fable legends for example is going to have both xbox one and windows 10 support so you can hop in you can play directly with people on either platform so they are open to the idea they like the idea but as you said the biggest problem is uh, keeping up to date with uh, patches and uh, extra features and things being added in PC platform is is made for that. It's that's absolutely what it's about. And you know, this is the kind of game which is going to get continual updates all the time. So I see it's going to be a really, really struggle to kind of keep the, both the clients in sync for any long period of time. Yeah, Jarvis. Well, I was just going to say because obviously the uh, Xbox One is is a timed exclusive, and David Bowie was saying that you know it makes sense that they would move on to other popular devices. And I did tweet them. Uh, asking about when we could get an announcement about a 3DS version, and so far, you know, so far they've just they've just ignored my tweet, which is obviously quite rude. Uh, uh, but yeah, no news on a news on a Nintendo 3DS version would be very welcome. The the, the new version's got a second stick. <laughs> that's, oh, that's going to make the world a difference. Yeah, that's, ex- that's extra control options right there. Let's focus down on the controls then, because obviously this is going to be the main uh, the main thing that people raise an eyebrow at when it comes to console versus PC. You've already touched on it in terms of the fact that um, you know there, there are quite a few key binders to this game if you want to really sort of throw yourself in at the deep end. Uh, on the flip side of that, we have heard that David Braben himself has played this game on a train using a dial-up connection through his mobile phone using an Xbox controller. So in theory, it is possible, and certainly I did it when we first started before we got the x52 out and you know made SciTech a, a whole heap of money so we know it is playable on the gamepad but do we think that the game itself and in, in the long run is something that can you know can survive on a game controller uh john yeah i think absolutely the, the whole thing's been designed from the ground up with various control methods the most important thing to remember is you know even though we've got keyboard and mouse control on the pc most of us are playing with some form of joystick and all of the controls of it have been designed for the little hat switches and things like that perfectly suited to thumbsticks and d-pads that you get on the controls and all that kind of thing so i think it's going to work per perfectly well you know when you're looking at things like you said like the advanced things like the voice attack text input for example consoles have already got various ways of doing text chat with people uh, they tend to 
favourite voice comms anyway, so I don't think you're going to have that much of an issue. I think you're definitely going to be at some kind of disadvantage, or you always are, particularly when you look at something like a first-person shooter. They are much more suited towards keyboard and mouse just sheerly because that's the way they're designed. Um, but yeah, I don't think this game's going to have an issue with the control method at all. Are you sure about that? Because you know, I'm just thinking how awesome would it be, say, with you're playing on the Connect. And you've got your main gamepad for your main ship controls, mm -hmm. but then you use gesturing for maybe manoeuvring your menus. So you sort of, I don't know, you swipe to the right and <laughs> that brings up well, your side menus or yeah. you know, then like left, right, left, and to do your point and clicky things. Yeah, uh, well, even so, sorry, I, I can't help but think of uh, me trying to fight an anaconda <laughs> and you know, raising my left arm frantically trying to get my shields to go. It's like, fuck, fuck, shields, shields, up, up, I shields, shields. shields. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, even simple things like, uh, you know, being able to have the connect just track your head a little bit like track IR does. Mm. So you can look for the side panels, for example. That would work really well. You know, the, I other, think thing that, uh, the other thing that I'm wondering about is I don't, I don't have an Xbox One, don't really want one. But I know with uh, Windows Mobile, they're really pushing Cortana. You know, is, could the Xbox Absolutely. One get something like Cortana in it for doing control of video games? Yeah, why not? Okay, so you can actually talk to your ship. Yeah, why not? Because that wasn't annoying at all in Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we all talk to our ships in in Elite using uh, voice attack, don't we? Yes, we do. And some of us still feel a little bit foolish doing it. So sitting in my lounge doing it at my telly, um, I'm not sure. Being secluded away in my office with you know soundproof doors and stuff like that, so the rest of my family don't think I'm going mad. Uh, I can just about get on board with sitting in the middle of my lounge saying things like you know attack pattern beta and things like that. Mm, not so sure, but yeah, we'll see. It's obviously the connect is there. It would be nice to have something like the voice control. Um, it does work exceptionally well on the PC, so yeah, it would be an extra layer um, that console games haven't really got on board with. And as it works so well, it could just be another sort of unique selling feature for this game when it goes out into sort of a more sort of general mass market. Ben, I don't have voice attack, but I still talk to my ship. I, uh, <laughs> I just, I just tell her she's beautiful and nuts. she's everything I could want in a ship. Which is You're obviously not buying a vulture then. It's so harsh. <laughs> did you not see the screenshot I posted in chat? It's a thing of beauty. I didn't, because I'm too busy hosting the show. So, uh, Ben, what do you reckon? Another thing that I was wondering about is, I know certainly with the Thrustmaster Hot Ass X, it is compatible with the PS3. Are things like the SciTech compatible with the PS3s or Xboxes as well? Well, I think we should probably say that the yeah the PlayStation 3, I can't imagine this game ever appearing on the PlayStation 3. PlayStation 4, uh, it's just a standard USB uh, connection, so I must admit I've never tried plugging it in, but you'd imagine that if SciTech have got any sense, uh, considering how many joysticks they've probably sold on the back <laughs> of this in Star Citizen, uh, the moment it appears on a console, you'd say straight away, let's... Uh, Let's paint it blue or paint it green and uh, and get it out there on the console market straight away. Makes a lot of sense to me. That, yeah, that's, a, that's a very harsh comment, Fozzer. <laughs> it doesn't have to look like a Playmobil toy to be launched on a console. <laughs> I think the issue, though, is that there's one of drivers, and I mean, I'm not aware yeah. of any previous console game that supports a joystick. 
Oh, th- there's been a few. I mean, I think some of the mech, uh, mech t- star games, there was a specific joystick. You could use it some crazy dual-wielding thing. It was absolutely huge, but it did yeah. have support. I mean, th- what typically has to happen is that developers of the game have to... Lo- you know, kind of code in drivers as part of their software. There's no kind of operating system like you have on Windows, which kind of sits underneath everything. So it's a bit of a pain in the backside. So you have to have the the hardware manufacturers talk to the developers and talk to the console uh, manufacturers, and all three have to work together quite well to make that happen. And fortunately, we're in a good position here that Frontier have you know they have a good uh, communication with SciTech, they, you know, they have a good relationship with Microsoft, so fingers crossed we might see that, it would be nice So you think that if, if Frontier wanted to see joysticks used on a console version, that actually the power to do that is in their hands not, on the, not necessarily with the platform holders I wouldn't say it's it, the power is in their hands. I say the the responsibility lies on their shoulders to kind of uh, code that in. You know, they have to do all the extra work to make that happen. When you also say though that um, you know the likes of Mad Cats and stuff, doesn't all of their peripherals have to be certified to work with the uh, the console? So wouldn't the likes of SciTech have to take their joystick to Microsoft or or yeah. Sony and say, you know, we'd like to you know, plug this into your your machine? Can you give us mm-hmm. authorization for it? Yeah, absolutely. It turns into this trifecta problem that, you know, all three people have to get into that room together and, you know, butt heads until they figure out how they're going to do it. And that's the tricky part with any kind of peripherals coming out on a console. Okay, well, talking about peripherals, uh, the other reason I really wanted uh, this announcement to be about the PlayStation 4 is because the PlayStation 4 has obviously got its virtual reality headset. Uh, I am right in thinking that there so far hasn't been one shown up for the, the Xbox, has there? Not as of yet, but they have talked about HoloLens. I don't know if you've seen that. That's more of an augmented reality device, but it's entirely possible that it could do VR as well. David has kind of mentioned it, so there is some potential there. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, this week we saw at the, um, whatever the mobile convention was, that uh, Valve have teamed up with HTC and uh, launched the, the Revive, or at least they will be launching the Revive in uh, December or certainly the holiday season 2015 um, with development kits going out in spring uh, so do we think that yeah this is obviously with the Xbox being more of a sort of a PC platform do you think this is the sort of thing that they can sort of get on board with and because for me having a virtual reality head like set like the Morpheus on the PlayStation 4 um, this would be the sort of the key selling feature for yeah, Elite Dangerous on the console market to be able to put that VR headset on to have it work with the PlayStation Eye, uh, be able to sit with your controller and have all of your controls on a controller right in your hand and be able to sort of play this game. I think that's probably the best, well, yeah, possibly the best way of playing it, you know, PC aside. That might even be the best way of playing this game in terms of immersion. Obviously, the Xbox doesn't have that headset. Do we think that's going to be a bit of a drawback for them? No comments. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just me that thinks of these things, then, is it? Just me that desperately wants to have a virtual reality headset on my console. No, I don't blame you. I think I've not really had any experience of what's going on with the HTC. That was the only thing. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it out on every single platform. It's definitely something like Oculus and some of the other, uh, you know, Steam VR and all that. They really want to push it to as many platforms. They're foolish not to put these things on as many platforms as they possibly can. And I'd love to see it. I really want everyone to be able to have these experiences that we're getting on PC. 
Okay, and just quickly, the joys of having an IRC channel going at the same time as the show. Uh, Max from the channel says that SciTech does actually have a joystick for the Xbox already. So, yeah, maybe this whole controlling the game using a, a SciTech joystick isn't as, yeah, as far-fetched as we might have first believed. That sounds really good. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, what about... Um, Oh dear, we've we, we said it before in the past, and yeah, I'm, tr- I'm going to try and say this in the most politically correct uh, way possible so we don't get letters. Not that anybody writes those anymore. Um, what about the difference in terms of the player base, in terms of console players expecting or being slightly different or being, you know, just being a different mindset from your standard PC playing uh, players in terms of. I don't know, but their expectations of what they sit down in front of a game. Do we think that they're going to be a... The, oh, this is going to sound awful. Do we think they're going to be the right sort of people for Elite Dangerous? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think there's a difference, particularly now with, with PC games, because of this huge influx of kind of indie developers, I think people are quite used to going in and playing a game that's maybe not entirely finished, and maybe doesn't have a sort of hand-holding tutorial. You know, like a very cinematic tutorial with a mm. voiceover that tells you everything. You know, PC gamers are, are used to playing games that that are a little bit kind of, you know, Heath Robinson. Um, I think console games, because of the processes they go through in order to actually finally make release, I, th- I think maybe console gamers are used to having things which are very polished up front. I mean, they might be more, you know, I'm not, they might be more open-ended as the game goes on, and actually the kind of the progress you need to make becomes very vague. I mean, God's sake, I played Dark Souls. Um, but the first hour of a console game is a very different experience to, to the way Elite Dangerous currently works. Um, you know, I think, I, I think console gamers would expect there to be something which leads them into the game without them having to read an instruction manual or go online and look at guides in order to learn how to play it. So I think that's the main thing perhaps we're going to see is this is it, is this re-debating of whether or not Elite should have a, a tutorial up front. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely the problem. It's, Elite has always had that brick wall of a learning curve, but once you actually get past that and you appreciate what the game's about, you, you know there's more there. And like you said, unfortunately, there's kind of that that age group, I suppose, that, that consoles kind of target, where it, you know there's not as much patience there. You know, we're, we're living in a world today where we don't have big manuals and you, know, you have to sit and read through an inch-thick book in order to understand all the controls. People just tend to jump onto YouTube and Google a 30-second tutorial on how to do things. And then, you know, they they know how to do it. They jump in and uh, play the game that way then. I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily an age group thing. I just think mm. it's a, a culture of the way AAA console titles, you know, have been made. I mean, something like, you know, look at something which is really slickly directed, like Uncharted. Um, like, the first time you fire a round from your gun, the whole screen freezes, and you get a thing that says, <laughs> press the trigger, you know, to fire, to fire oh, a gun. Yeah. And, but I was just, I, I was just, sort of, Ben's just noted in the chat that, um, that, you know, that sort of Minecraft is another game which, you know, is, is very open and uh, doesn't have a tutorial. But interestingly, I played the console version of Minecraft for the first time the other day, and that uh, starts yes. with a tutorial level, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you play the PC version, you just get dumped in the middle of a forest 
with nothing and you're left to kind of dig your first house out of the ground and build a roof out of soil. But actually the console version lands you next to an already built castle. There is a partially built hut that you just have to finish. And all the way through the first 24 hours of Minecraft, it gives you tips of what bit you need to do next in order to make progress. Well, this takes us back to something I think I mentioned ages ago, that I would love for the first few hours of Elite to be welcome to the Imperial Navy commander, go. And to actually, you know, you're now in a sidewinder and you have to go and kill five people for these guys and then you have to go and do this and then you have to go and do that. And then maybe it could be a proper storyline that potentially even kicks you out into the world in your sidewinder that you've been flying with and really? 100 credits. Really? Because that, yeah. to me, just sounds horrible. That sounds exactly <laughs> no. like every other game that's out there on the market and so yeah, so completely but, alien to what Elite was and the concept of what Elite was. But there is a reason why that is, and Chris has just been explaining it. It's like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. but do, do you, that, does that mean that you therefore have to pander to the stereotypes when the leap first came out there was uh, yeah, there was a thing that everybody had to have a scoreboard and everybody had to be able to put 10 pences into the machine <laughs> you know, they broke the mould they did something different and surely you know, with its successor we should be going back to those sort of routes and doing something different to what the marketplace is currently doing and actually you can do yourself a disservice because if you, if you create a very slick, very well scripted introduction and then dump the player in the middle of something which is very open, open-ended and not tightly directed, if, if the person's enjoyed that first hour, they're not going to necessarily enjoy the rest of the game. The main thing I'm thinking of is Fallout 3. Fallout 3 had this <laughs> lovely beginning where you were a child in the underground base and you sort of walk around and you explore and you talk to people. And it was this really nice little introductory adventure. And then when I finally got to the bit of Fallout 3 where it kind of pushes you out into the wilderness and you're left to kind of explore this open-ended sort of undirected space I didn't enjoy it as much and I just remember wishing that the rest of the game could be more like that opening section now that's me just being the wrong kind of person for that game but actually it would be a shame if you then created something that um, where people would come in and really enjoy a scripted tight storyline that teaches you the, the world and environment that you're in in Elite and then suddenly strips all of that away and then says, actually, there's no more storyline or hand-holding. Uh, you're just in a huge open universe to trade and shoot. That actually people would be put off and they would drop out of the game at that point. And I think that would be a pity. And who says the storyline has to finish when you get kicked out? You know, you get kicked out of the Imperial, of the Federal Navy, say, and, you know, you, you fly around, do a couple of your own things, then you maybe get picked up by the Alliance, get some nice proper branching story arc missions. You know, we're looking at things at least six months down the line. Why can't Frontier have gotten some really good storyline missions into the game by then? But there's a difference between storyline missions and the kind of really tightly directed thing which which a tutorial kind of requires um and i don't think 
I don't think Frontier have showed that much appetite for producing a big overarching storyline. I mean, they've been hint- hinting at odd bits here and there which affect certain in-game events, but I don't think that Elite Dangerous has a plot in the traditional sense that some games happen. Yeah, and that can be hugely successful. I mean, if you do look at Minecraft, it is different. It doesn't have an overriding plot, and yet it's been one of the biggest hits that consoles have seen. So I must admit, when I saw that Minecraft was appearing on uh, consoles, I thought it was going to be a flop, purely because I thought it was going to be something that was literally just a PC, yeah, a PC gamer-only sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it's proven me completely wrong and turned out to be a massive success on every console that it's been on. So, yeah, could we just say that, fingers crossed, Elite Dangerous is going to be the same sort of thing? I think it's, it's tricky. You kind of have to separate away that idea of that, that initial getting rid of that initial learning curve, putting some kind of tutorial events in and the whole overarching story. Now, a lot of people expected, even on the PC, Elite to have more of this overarching storyline play out over a period of months. It is there, but it is very much in the background. It's just a canvas for us to you know, play our own game on top of. That's what it's all about. Going back to what we were saying about the tutorials, I mean, if you look at the NES version, I don't know if you, any of you guys have ever played that one, but that did have an initial kind of shooter get you into an instant combat scenario before you even started in Lave Station. So a lot of these things are put in not because the developers want to. As was pointed out in the IRC chat, um, the console producers are asking the developers to put this in. And that's an interesting thing. I mean, it's obviously Frontier Developments are going to be handling this conversion over to uh, over to the consoles. But I mean, we did Elite on uh, Retrolave, and obviously we were all getting ready to to launch out the station. I think it was Grant who was playing on the NES version. It was me actually. Oh, was it you who had to hold up his hand and say, "I'd love to come and join you guys," but unfortunately, for some reason, I've got to do a tutorial mission. Um, and was it also the NES version that was completely dumbed down so that you could automatically dock just by yep, pressing a button? Yep, I had a, a docking computer from the get-go. Exactly. So you need these sort of in. <laughs> integral parts of the, the game have been completely wiped away just because it was put onto a console and they, they dumbed it down. Obviously Frontier Developments I would I'm sure aren't gonna dumb down Elite Dangerous for the you know, for the console marketplace. But do you think they'd have to put in any changes uh to make the game inherently different to what we're gonna see on the PC? Uh John. Yeah, absolutely. They're gonna have to put these initial things in. even if they do something like uh just rework some of the tutorial combat missions and various things we've got add a couple of more things in for trading and exploring and you know work working through some of the background sim stuff and like that you know if they make those that they're forced so that that becomes the introduction for anyone playing on xbox i think that might just be enough to get it through the gate okay well before the show we've actually gone out to the community and asked for people's opinions on the Xbox announcements and asked if anybody's got any questions that they want us to talk about or things they want us to discuss on the show so let's quickly go to the questions that relate to the main topic and then we'll have a short break and then go into community corner so first question it comes from our good friend and great cake maker Mr. Carl Agnew who says, I want all of their pennies to go into my PC expansions. Um, and this is something that came up quite a lot about people being a little bit concerned that obviously we backed the game uh, on Kickstarter. We backed it for a PC and Mac and Linux, but we're not going to go there, um, release. And you know, now that they're moving over to the console, is there a chance that funds are going to be moved across and focus is going to be moved to, um, to the consoles? Um, anybody have anything they want to pick up on this point? 
No, 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 no. I think if it goes onto the consoles, the market for the game is going to increase exponentially. Yeah, instead of 300,000, 400,000, whatever it is, we're going to be into six figures, I think. Yeah, And absolutely. all that money gets channeled into the whole game, not just into the console. I think it's true. I mean, that is, we've been focusing a lot on, you know, perhaps negative sides of the game going over to consoles. But the thing that it is going to give us is masses of people. Yeah. I mean, just a huge influx of... It does, and in some respects, you know, I know Fozzie said about, you know, are they the right sort of people? In some <laughs> respects, if they become 90% of the user base, they are, by democracy, the right sort of people. So... Yeah, it's just going to be, you know, it's just going to make the game much more huge. I mean, I still am distressed about the number of gamers I speak to that that haven't heard about the fact that Elite Dangerous is even a thing. But if it was a console release, yeah, people would know about it. You see, I just, I just worry that the galaxy is just not going to be big enough. I mean, we've only got 400 billion star systems to play around with. You know, and if you open this up to the console marketplace, yeah, with all these new people, it's just going to be crowded, man. It really is. We're never going to be able to get docked at Lave Station. <laughs> well, this is true. The thing, yeah, I mean, I've, that first question you kind of written out, I'm not sure what order these are in, because that was in response to there was someone saying that they hoped the Kickstarter money wasn't going to be used to make a console version. Yeah. And I think to that, I think the best we can say is that Kickstarter money is gone, dude. Yeah, well gone. There is no way a penny of that <laughs> remains. I think we drank it all at the launch party. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the scene from Ghostbusters. That launch party constituted the last of the petty cash, you know, so, so chew your food when it came to the launch party. Um, but in fairness, no, I think that money... Uh, we obviously went out on the back of the Kickstarter. They went to venture capitalists as well. Um, they raised a lot more money uh, after the Kickstarter in terms of you know, selling beta access and stuff like that. Uh, the game was already a massive success on the PC before it even came to, uh, to being launched, and they continued to make money. So now when it comes to that Kickstarter money, I think that's long gone. Uh, anything that they get from the consoles is just going to add to the coffers rather than actually detract from the PC expansions, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I did a, a back of the fact packet kind of calculation. When we're looking at the Kickstarter money, it was one point five million. If you consider that you know there was roughly a, a hundred people working on the project, it's been two years now. Would you believe the Kickstarter was uh, funded in January two thousand thirteen? So you're looking at average developer wages for that is going to be something like seven million for those two years. That that money was gone somewhere mid two thousand thirteen. <laughs> so yeah, I mean they have to they have to look at other ways of funding the, the project as a whole and console seems to be the obvious choice you know they, they've already got the experience with working with microsoft and xbox one their engine is compatible with it it's a quick win it makes good business sense to get it out there and you know just continue to support development of the game for everyone yeah definitely and certainly that kickstarter question came from uh, martin bogren uh, he also says, I just hope they can handle the game since they're going to be playing in the same universe as us. Um, they are going to be playing in the same universe as us, but obviously in different instances. The the fact is that we're not going to cross over with these console players. They'll see the same stock markets as us, but we're never going to see them docking at Lave Station, unfortunately. Same Similar sort of question from Philip Atherton, who says, I can see them in a sticky parallel universe, but are they going to be in the same instance as us? Yeah, David Braben's already answered that one. Uh, Mr. Simon Winard says, uh, do you think 
that providing Elite Dangerous for consoles would diffract from making the game more, f- making more game features for the PC version? Now, that is a good question, actually. Um, do we think that by making the console version there's going to be a lack of focus given to the PC version, or do we think that they're going to have to look further down the line and think, well, actually, we have this great thing planned for the PC, but if we do that, there's no way it's going to be able to uh, you know, transfer across the console, so maybe we should rein it back in a bit? No, so- no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's hard to say really that that I mean I wouldn't be surprised if they actually almost had separate teams for the console ports. Um I, yeah, I think you're right. I think they do actually. Yeah, I think uh, the thing that the only thing that strikes me is because consoles okay, so consoles represent a fixed point in kind of hardware development. So the argument between having a PC and having a console always goes that, you know, you can you can have a PC and it will last you for years and years and years and years because you keep upgrading all the other bits and pieces in order to keep up with the latest games. The, the flip side argument with a console is you buy a console... For the next five years, it will work. You will have no compatibility problems. You won't have to upgrade it or do any silly tinkering with it. Every game that comes out for your console will work. And then at the end of that cycle, you have to buy a new one. So the, thing that, the only thing that concerns me here is that consoles, therefore, represent a snapshot. The games that come out in year five of a console, they are better because people have got used to developing for them. But you haven't got any more power in year five of a console than you have in year one of a console. So with David Braben talking about how... I mean, when we've interviewed him previously, we've said, is there going to be a sequel to Elite Dangerous? He's always said, the sequel to Elite Dangerous is Elite Dangerous, because we will keep changing it and keep updating it and keep expanding it. That's not something you're necessarily going to be able to do in a console space. So we're not going to be able to have in, in two or three years' time a shiny new graphics engine if the console versions kind of stagnate and force it to stay, do you know what I mean, at that level that, that works on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. So is that, th- that might be a concern. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a concern. I think that we're already seeing this for Grand Theft Auto where... GTA 5 came out on the PS3. A year later, it comes out on the PS4. And, hey, Rockstar, you've paid them $40 or $50 for the PS3 version. And some people, I'm sure, are going to be spending another $40, $50 for the PS4 version. Why can't exactly the same scenario happen for Elite Dangerous? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, and we've already got everything there which is going to support this. The engine is ultimately scalable in every way imaginable. You know, it can go down on really, really low-end PCs, really, really high-end PCs. You know, f- I can see that the Xbox One version is going to come out basically with somewhere like mid-range graphics. The PC version is going to continue to just get better and better and better. So it's got everything it needs to make that happen. Okay, well, I mean, I'm not exactly sure about the specifications for current consoles out there. Obviously, next-gen consoles are you know, the latest cutting-edge technology, but can they, can they do already for the likes of uh, 4K? Do they have the capability of doing 4K resolution? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think currently they have that 
level of hardware. Uh, that that is the problem. They're kind of mid-range PCs, specification-wise, at the moment. Okay, they don't have the overhead of like OS and things like that. But with things like DX12 coming out soon for Windows 10 and all, we're going to start to cut away those boundaries again. So PCs are just going to take this huge leap up again in performance. So it, it is a tricky thing at the moment that you know. Frontier could keep pushing the fidelity on the PC platform, but as uh, Jarvis said, was you know the the consoles have just hit this plateau already that they're kind of like a, a mid range PC and they're never going to get past that. Um, but the beauty is, of course, the engine can scale to whatever you put it on, so I don't think it's going to be an issue. Absolutely, and I suppose you can also think that maybe this is where the you know, the different peripherals will maybe. You know, stake a claim for their own. So if you can say, well, you're, not, you're never going to get 4K, but what you are going to get is a very, very good, very, very fast frame rate uh, virtual reality headset that will work out of the box and plug into your consoles, and that will take you and expand the whole universe to you know, be wherever you want to look your, uh, move your head, then does it matter that you can't get 4K resolution? I, I honestly don't think console gamers generally care as much about resolutions and things like 4K as maybe PC gamers do anyway. I don't think it's a factor. I mean, with with the PlayStation 3, they were making all these claims about how the PS3 was the first true 1080p console. But actually, the number of games that true. actually ran in 1080p was a handful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Most of them ran in 720 for the life of the console. And no one really minded because you you have a uh, a, a machine that is designed for playing on a kind of home TV screen, and it's the kind of it's the slickness of it that matters, not necessarily the, the high resolution. So I don't think I don't think 4K is I, I don't uh, people will look at it and they'll say, "Oh, the console versions can't do 4K," but I don't think most console players will really care all that much. Okay, what about frame rate then? Obviously, the PlayStation 4 prides itself on the fact that most of the stuff runs at 60 frames per second. This is the first computer game I've played with my setup that uh, runs quite nicely at 60 frames per second. Do you think that makes a difference on the consoles? I think it's going to be a bigger hit on the consoles than it is um, on the PC currently because really you want to encourage that Twitch style gaming and you know the combat is going to be a really important aspect of it. That's really is all going to come down to Frontier doing uh, a good job of setting the detail settings and everything right and, and finding that uh, those set of values that work well on that particular hardware. It's a lot easier for them to do that on a console, of course, because it's a fixed hardware platform. It's not going to change. Um, but that's where the key comes down there, is knowing where to cut the corners to get that frame rate out. But it, I think on the, on the flip side, following off what you're saying, what, where console gamers are perhaps not that bothered about resolution, they are very unhappy about frame rate drops. Because if you think about it, on a PC, if you're playing a game and every now and again you get some stuttering, there might be some tweaks or something you can do yourself to kind of fix it. On a console, if you get a section in the game where frame rate drops out, it is, it is 100% the developer's problem. You can't do anything about it. And if you have a game that, that doesn't have, you know, viable frame rates, then there's kind of no excuse because, as we've said, the console is a, is a fixed format and they will have known about those frame rate drops, do you know what I mean, before the game went out. Um, I mean, you know, to throw in an example, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put this on record, Pokemon X and Y on the 3DS was <laughs> terrible. Seriously, the frame rates were just horrible. And there's no excuse, because it's not like one 3DS is different to another. They're all the same, and they just... 
just programmed it badly and the frame rates were just nasty. Well, I, I think to come to their defence with that, I think I think things are a lot more complicated these days. So where, you know, it used to be that you could... It, it, you know, think about every possible scenario and event that would happen in a game now with a, with something that was so dynamic as this game, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to, you know, think of every possible action. I mean, what happens when suddenly is, you know, you have all 32 people, you can have it in an instance, fire off their chaff launchers all at the same time and spam it and make loads of particles and they all drop their cargo and everything like that. You know, it, those kind of situations are going to be very, very difficult to predict those happening and that could have a negative impact on your frame rate so it's a lot harder these days than it used to be but yeah they, they can plan for it a lot better i suppose okay Ben. just talking about the instances value is there any sort of um, ramifications to the 32 player instances or should the consoles be able to handle that just as well as the pcs is there any issues with bandwidth is there any issues with you know, the specifications of the consoles that means that, that would actually be a challenge or is it just we don't know yet I don't know enough about consoles, but um, am I right in thinking that most console gaming is already peer-to-peer? I, well, I mean, it depends on the developer, really. There's kind of a blend, you know, that, that okay. could be, yeah, a lot of them have gone back to doing matchmaking servers. There was a lot of issues with peer-to-peer things. People were complaining it was, you know, difficult to get sessions and everything like that. So I think, you know, when you're looking at something like Xbox One, Microsoft's got that huge Azure backend platform hosting everything. So, it may mean that Frontier have to kind of think about how they're going to move it onto that platform. Um, it, it could be a right nightmare to make that happen, but um, no, I think it's interesting. Okay, and final question. Uh, forgive us if we haven't actually read out your question. There's been quite a few overlaps on some of the questions here. Uh, this one doesn't overlap, and I have a feeling that most of the guys aren't going to be able to answer it, but uh, there's a question. Does any of you guys have any thoughts on the Steam OS and Steam VR? Uh, would Steam OS be the best way to get Elite Dangerous onto Linux? Now, I'm I'm guessing that Steam OS is the operating system they're launching for their uh, range of um, Steam PCs, uh, of various different sort of ranges and specifications. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I, I've had a little play around with what you can do with that, and you know, it does seem like a good a good way of doing it. You know, you're targeting a, a common platform. Uh, you know there's certain hardware tiers that Valve are kind of dictating that that's what it needs to be at in order to have SteamOS support. So it, it might be a good way of getting out onto Linux platform. Obviously, the issue is it's another body that you're going to have to sit and have discussions with and figure out, you know, what you can do to make it happen and everything. It, it would be nice. I'd love to see it on Linux. Again, I, I like with the older games, I'd love to see it on every single platform so everyone can try it. I think as well it comes down to the, the will at Frontier because, I mean, obviously they're, they're going to look at the size of the market. They're going to look at how many people are going to be going on to SteamOS. I mean, let's not, let's not forget that Frontier have already sort of by default passed up the opportunity to be distributed on Steam as a platform, you know, pr- preferring to kind of do their own thing with their shop front end and with their launcher. Um, so I don't know whether or not they're they're going to be necessarily rushing over to support that. But if it's a big user base, I mean, they'd be silly not to consider it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, where the Xbox One decision came from. You know, they they can do it in a couple of months. They can get out there. It's a user base. They can, you know, crack that market and get it out there. 
I think they're just going to have to go down that list and look at what the what the next user base is and just keep working through what you know it, it's a kind of a uh, cost benefits kind of analysis thing really you, you're looking at how how hard is it going to be to get it on this platform and how much of their potential user base are we going to win back from doing it um, you know like I said I'd love to see it on everything I'd love to see it on Wii U so uh, you know <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything we can get it on let's you know get it on everything holding out for the 3DS version <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay well let's leave that topic there what we'll do is we'll go to a quick advert and then after that we'll do some shout out and community corner hi i'm trent stephen findless jr and i'm here to tell all you pilots about a great new service take a listen to my friend pete my name is pete and i'm a long distance haulier i drive a puma shipping farm machinery from leasty to Sawayo. i love my family and i don't mind being a hard-working blue-collar dad but I'm tired of seeing my family grow old in front of my eyes. Every time I make the run there and back, I lose 15 days in hyperspace. My family is starting to notice that they're getting older and I'm not. My wife had a baby last week, did a week of shifts and now my kids got teeth. I wish there was some way my family could get old at the same speed as me. There is, Pete. How? By buying into my new service, Findlist Cryogenics. We aim to put the freeze on the premature ageing of your family. The process is simple. Our unique family centres allow you to drop off your loved ones on the way to work. Simply hire the number of cryogenic pods you need and keep your family asleep while you fly among the stars. We ensure synchronicity with your flight patterns so they spend the same time awake that you spend in the cockpit. And when you get home, bingo! Your family is the same age as you. Never lose family time in hyperspace again. We guarantee that you'll never miss another birthday, anniversary or funeral. Wow, Trent, that sounds great. Where do I sign? Simply put your credit card details into our special webpage under the hashtag WeFreezeYourLove. We'll take care of the amounts. No need to worry about that. It's so simple. I can't wait to keep my family in a secure block of ice. It's a weight off my mind. Findalist Cryogenics, now at your local spaceport. Findalist Cryogenics, because the family that grows old together goes cold together. Okay, so Community Corner this week. Uh, I think the first thing we'll probably have to focus on is the fact that, oh dear, since we've had this debug camera, the whole place has gone selfie-geddon. It's gone selfie-mad. There's just so many pictures cropping up of people taking photographs of their spaceships. There is a lot of spaceship love going on in the community at the moment. Certainly, way back when, when Frontier used to give us the odd spaceship pick in the newsletters, we used to call it spaceship porn. Well, the whole internet has just been flooded with, shape, uh, with spaceship porn at the moment. So um, I believe there's some nice uh, Reddit articles out there about it and there's some Flickr groups as well. But everywhere you go at the moment on the uh, Frontier forums, you can see lots and lots of very nice pictures of people in their ships, which is great. And uh, I'm sure the rest of us will be doing it if we're not already. Quick things to point out. There is a couple of YouTube videos out there, part one, part two, of Scott Manley and David Braben chatting about asteroids and stuff at the GDC. Uh, those of you who might recognize the name Scott Manley, he does the Kerbal Space Project. Is that right, Ben? Scott Manley does everything. He does Kerbal videos, he does Elite videos, he does pretty much anything about space and spacey games videos. And he's an astronomer in real life as well, I believe. And he's from uh, Scotland. <laughs> in Scotland, but it doesn't live over in the States at the moment. Yeah, he lives in California way, I think. All right, but uh, I think you've watched this video, haven't you? Is it just a little bit uh, of two guys just sort of almost like having a conversation over a bar stool or something like that? 
it's yeah, it's basically Scott Manley and David and David Braben OBE sitting in a bar or a restaurant or something. Uh, Scott's drinking a nice seven or eight percent beer, and David's drinking a Corona. And it looks almost like they're talking into his iPhone or something like that. I've got no idea. Um, but it's basically it's forty minutes of spacey goodness with David getting very excited about end of life events and and asteroids hitting the Earth and things like that. In the way that only David Braben can, John. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice video. I, I will say that uh, Scott Manley owes me over 200 hours of my life back for getting me into KSP. Um, <laughs> it's a fantastic game, but just way too addictive. Yeah, it was nice to just see them kind of talking about things that weren't game related. I think you know, and the fact that David has got so much background and the, the things that he thinks of that you know the space related stuff that you know he is passionate about this stuff and i just i'd love to see how that is going to translate into the games you know like ben was saying about the extinction level events and that kind of stuff he's thought about so many possibilities and stuff i think the only thing that kind of uh, touched on that made me think about uh, the games particularly frontier was he, he started talking about some of the the algorithms and things that he calculated out and trying to work out roughly how much mass would be an area what kind of size of bodies you'd see and you know i think he made some predictions early on about the number of brown dwarfs that were uh, potentially in the Milky Way galaxy and that has since been turned out to be verified as being actually a more accurate than what they were expecting so that's quite nice to see that you know he's got that much foresight and things into the game I think he actually made that calculations back in 1988 or something like that he was saying when they were doing the I guess the equivalent of the oh the galaxy simulator for Frontier yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they um, they made some predictions that ended up becoming true based on exoplanet uh, discoveries and things like that, which is which is nice to see. You know, these. Uh, I, I think the one thing that was really funny though when he was talking about the the error bars when uh, <laughs> you're trying to calculate the probabilities of certain things going and the the error is further off than the uh, potential precision that you're trying to work down to. So it's like it's like you know it's within one light year plus or minus five light years that kind of range is like oh yeah that's that's a bit of a variation <laughs> it could still go right through the middle of our solar system exactly <laughs> okay well uh just to give a quick uh, couple of uh, announcements as well about the fact that obviously they were at the gdc and uh, david braben did get a couple of awards at the gdc but before we tell you anything about those awards i want to make a formal apology to commander tubby Commander Tubby, I know you wanted to be part of the group, but unfortunately, I've had one too many to drink tonight, and I've actually uh, I've rejected your application to join the Fozzer group. So, if you'd like to reapply, uh, I promise I will hit the right button next time. So, Commander Tubby, uh, we do love you. Come back, and we'll let you into the group. Um, okay, so David Braben Awards, right? Where were we? Excellent. So, he took to the stage at the GDC Awards, where he was honoured to collect the 2015 Pioneer Award for contributions to gaming. Uh, also, the Game Developers Audience Choice Award for the best game for Elite Dangerous. What do you reckon, guys? Uh, absolutely well-deserved? Totally. Yes. Of course. I think, hopefully, that's the other thing about opening this up to um, to the consoles. It should give him a much bigger sort of uh, stage or platform for recognition for the work that he's done and also recognition for you know, what a fantastic game Elite Dangerous uh, is as well. So congratulations to David. Well-deserved rewards there. But I think as well, as well and in context of 
you know because we are because we're surrounded by the community you, there is so much moaning and complaining <laughs> about what elite dangerous is and or what elite mm. dangerous is it's it's nice to see that you know at the game developers conference these are all people who develop mm. games and between them they chose elite dangerous as a, you know as a standout title and that's that's the thing you just have to keep impressing on people is that Elite Dangerous is really good and for all the complaining about it it doesn't stop the fact that Elite Dangerous is really good and it is better than most of the stuff that is out there at the moment so yeah absolute kudos to, to David and the whole team yeah I mean talking about recognition as well we should also mention that uh, I mean more fantastic news for David is that this year he's going to receive the BAFTA Games Fellowship Award uh, which is phenomenal news and again well deserved and great recognition for the work that he's done in the gaming industry all the way back since 1984 when the you know, first Elite game came out okay talking about um, <laughs> talking about the retro and way back when uh, we are featuring this week in Community Corner we're featuring a Kickstarter by a guy called David Lowe now you'll probably not recognise the, ge- uh, the name but you will definitely recognise the music uh, David Lowe's got a Kickstarter out at the moment uh, as Uncle Arts uh, and he did some amazing pieces of music way back in the 80s and 90s for things such as Carrier Command uh, Space Glider and the one that everybody here should have dear to their hearts, the Frontier 2 intro theme. Um, it's a Kickstarter sorry, sorry, basic... Sorry, sorry, Space Glider. Where, where, where are you reading this from? Star Glider, mate. Star Glider. <laughs> Star Glider 1 and 2. And this is why I definitely shouldn't drink whilst doing the podcast. <laughs> uh, Star Glider 1 and 2. Um, and also um, things like Afterburner. Lots and lots of tracks that you will definitely uh, recognise um, from games that you've played in your youth. Basically, he's going with his daughter, uh, Holly. They're going to be... They found all the original uh, machines, all the original tapes. And if their Kickstarter is successful, they're going to remaster all of those um, tracks are basically going to do two CDs, two albums, one where they bring up all the old tracks and bring them up to date. Um, so resample them, remaster them. Uh, and a second album where they basically take inspiration from the original titles and do a slight sort of, um, a slight sort of uh, remix of the tracks. What do you reckon, Chris? Worth supporting? No, you know, absolutely worth supporting. Um, I mean... Uh, I, I do not, apologies for the, if there's repetition because we we've got a little music track from them to give some examples uh, and I've recorded a little intro for it for our stream so apologies if we play this in a minute and I say exactly the same thing um, but I, I, you know, I loved the Amiga and you know, the Amiga was a big machine for me uh, and I used to kind of make mixtapes of the uh, the music from games and some of you know David Lowe's stuff is just you know, amazing and obviously the stuff for Frontier um, we used the Frontier theme for Escape Velocity because I liked it so much uh, and I just couldn't imagine using anything else for Escape Velocity. Um, funnily enough, I was actually playing Beneath a Steel Sky earlier today, um, and uh, he, you know, he did the music for Beneath a Steel Sky. Carrier Command, amazing, uh, amazing stuff for that. Uh, so yeah, this is you know this is totally worth backing. It's not a particularly expensive Kickstarter to get on board with, but obviously the more you back. You know, the more you back, the better. Um, and in terms of, you know, David himself, it's worth looking at this stuff because as well as being obviously a composer of music for games, back at a time when that was not common, I mean, if you think about 
how technical kind of music was in the early 90s actually doing music for games was very niche so he was a huge pioneer in terms of of being a professional composer working in this environment but actually the guy was a real pioneer in a lot of other ways because looking at some of his bio stuff if he found that he didn't have the tools to do something that he wanted to do musically or technically he would write his own tools i mean he was a you know, programmer as well as a musician and i don't think there can be many musicians out there even today who if they kind of get stuck with the tools in front of them actually sit down and write themselves software to do kind of what they want to do so just amazing you know uh, an amazing guy an amazing influence and yeah this this music should be absolutely great and i think we're going to we're not quite ready to wrap up but i think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the show aren't we with their um their demo music that's a sort yeah. of medley of a few different bits so it'll be interesting to see how many of you uh, can pick out some of the tracks from your past. But if you want to go and check it out, uh, you can go to tinyurl.com forward slash Elite Uncle Art, all one word, Elite Uncle Art. And that will take you directly to the Kickstarter page. And uh, yeah, throw some so, throw some cash their way because obviously the, the big one for us is the, the stretch goal. They've said that if they can actually hit their target and hit a stretch goal, they're going to have a look at recording the Frontier theme with a full orchestra live at Abbey Road so I don't know about the rest of you but that's definitely something I would love to hear uh, I don't know if you guys uh, are uh, elite backers uh, I know how much you guys love a Kickstarter <laughs> and it's been a while since we've it has been a while hasn't it uh, so do it, go do it yeah but the, the Frontier theme done at Abbey Road you know, to quote Crash squeak <laughs> <laughs> Um, so have a look at that and again as Jarvis says we'll be playing out some music from them at the end of the show so what else have we got to cover off Um, obviously Elite Meet is coming up that's happening at the uh, 28th of March up in Birmingham you can check that out by going to bit.do bitdo forward slash elmeet that's bit.do forward slash elite meet uh, and there's a chance to play Cellars and Lakes a fantastic elite encounters role playing game there and have a few drinks with some like minded individuals finally a couple of shout outs one is to the conclave if you remember those of you that have been with the show for a while the conclave is the community show that we do where we invite people onto the show and have a roundtable debate about stuff that's going on in the game the conclave is coming back we're going to be doing a few episodes uh, around the idea of clans and groups so it's going to be conclave clash of clans three episodes where we will meet some of the players in the ever-growing elite dangerous metagame universe so names that some of you might recognize like the East India Corporation, Emperor's Grace, Goons, Mobius, to name a few. Uh, Lisa and I were sitting down and actually chatting with these guys and finding out what makes them tick, what their groups are all about, and the path of metagaming within the Elite Dangerous Universe. Okay, so just a quick few shout-outs as well to the in-game commanders who's been sat outside Lave Station, those fortunate few who've managed to get the update installed on their PC. We've got Commander Jave, Commander Payne, Commander Zafeg, uh, Jay Whitehouse, Mind White, Jax, Ridley Walker, Archiman Boost, Snevis, Salter, Astradamus, and Infranim. Thank you very much for joining us outside Lave Station. Thanks for all those people that have been joining us in the IRC channel and picking us up where we go wrong. We always love that. Again, if you want to join us in future weeks, all you need to do is jump in game, find the group Fozza, F-O-Z-Z-A, and I will make sure I stay on top of that. 
Unfortunately, Commander Tubby hasn't come back after I rejected his request, so I'm feeling a little bit guilty about that, but I will accept every request to join that group. Okay, well, that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email info at laveradio.com, Facebook forward slash Lave Radio, or at Lave Radio on Twitter. You can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fozzle 101 to your Skype contacts, and you can join our TeamSpeak server, which is laveradio.teamspeak3.com. Thanks to John, Chris, and Ben for joining us on the show. And thanks for all those commanders that's joined us outside Lave Station and in the IRC chat channel. If you'd like to hear more, of course, you can from the Orange Sidewinder. We are now broadcasting 24-7, thanks to a great bunch of artists over at the Elite and Frontier-inspired SoundCloud group. Check out the live stream at laveradio.com. However, before you do, make sure you stick around as we're playing you out with a sample of Uncle Art's well-known tracks. See how many of them you can actually name. Remember to check out his project at tinyurl.com forward slash elite uncle art. Until next time, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous.
going to see the galaxy. Two seconds, I'll be right back.